Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. HawkeyeInsider.com, David Eichel, Sean Bach, uh, back in another Swarmcast loaded episode. Obviously, the Iowa football staff is finally uh, completed. Abdul Hodge named tight ends coach and Brian Ferentz moving from an offensive coordinator slash tight end role to a offensive coordinator quarterback coach role. We'll get into all that. Sean went to uh, St. Louis over the weekend, caught up with a number of Iowa's top targets. Sean came back in one piece. But, Sean, it's been a pretty eventful offseason so far. And, you know, the Iowa basketball team is also surging now 7-1. and one. Uh, in the last eight games, have a big showdown with Michigan. Uh, spring football right around the corner. I mean, it, uh, news never stops, and I think it's only going to continue to ramp up, obviously, with uh, Junior Day on Saturday as well. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been kind of a quiet last couple of weeks. Obviously, there are a couple of commitments in the Ken O'Keefe news, but as far as football goes, like there really didn't seem to be a whole lot going on, at least from our perspective. Um, you know, you get nuggets here and there, but really not a whole ton. So it's kind of nice to see things picking up a bit. And obviously we'll talk about later the addition of Steven Stiliano, so Lafayette College tight end transfer was a really notable one um, that happened yesterday as well. So yeah, it's been, you know, it's, it's been quiet the last couple of weeks, but the last, the last week or so, the last couple of days, especially, it really has seemed to ramp up a bit. And, um, you know, that's kind of, you know, the sign of uh, spring football is coming. Um, you know, it's still a couple of weeks away, but, you know, recruiting started to pick up in a little bit too. And, you know, Iowa's putting these uh, middle pieces on this 2023 class. So it's a pretty exciting time for sure. John, let's dive in the biggest story. Abdul Hodge, former Iowa linebacker, is back in the coaching staff, but as a tight end coach. Personally, I love the Abdul Hodge hire from that perspective. Uh, I know you've heard some good things about him on the recruiting trail. You dropped some stuff for our VIP members the other day. Uh, great player for Iowa. You know, I had a few years in the NFL. Uh, has some really, really good Florida connections. And, you know, I know a lot of people are kind of, you know, some people's eyebrows raise when you see a former linebacker never coach tight ends, coach, you know, tight ends at tight end you. But when you're on the other side of the ball, I mean, you're studying so many different tight ends when you go out in coverage against them. I mean, Abdul's got probably a wealth of knowledge. And, I mean, the two positions, at least, I don't think you can question when it comes to Iowa. It's going to be the offensive line and it's going to be tight ends. You can almost throw in anybody to go coach those. And they're going to have success. Obviously, I think the bigger story is Brian Ferentz uh, at, at quarterback coach now. But we'll get into that in a second. But, Sean, again, I love the hire for Abdul Hodge. Makes a lot of sense. And, again, this is Iowa sort of keeping it in the family. But, again, this is, I think, going to be a big, big boost on the recruiting trail. And I think that Kirk's done a good job of filling out the staff to continue to ramp up the expectations in recruiting. Yeah, I mean, I also think it's really beneficial, too, because everything I've heard and everything I've seen is, you know, you talk about Hodge, obviously, you know, he's loyal to Iowa. That was one of the jobs that he talked about he wanted to get to or one of the places he wanted to get back to once his NFL career was done and had had some success at South Dakota um, and then a few stops before as a high school coach down in Florida, had his own business. and was doing pretty well for himself down there, but, you know, he got that itch to come back into coaching and, you know, that's where he's at now. And like you said, Dave, I mean, I think this hire makes a lot of sense from the perspective that, you know, you're an outside linebackers coach. Who do who do outside linebackers cover a lot? 
when on defense, you know, when they go for a pass and that's tight ends. And while, you know, maybe it's flipped a little bit, um, I still think that it makes a lot of sense from a scheme perspective and also, you know, the recruiting perspective. I talked about it in the piece that you mentioned that, you know, you talk about Liddell Betts and, you know, how he's been able to get into Florida. I don't know exactly what um, Hodge's recruiting area is going to be yet. I imagine he'll kick, he'll kick around in Florida a little bit, but also Kansas City potentially teaming up with Kelton Copeland a little bit. Um, you know, I heard a lot of really good buzz about, you know, his connections in, in Kansas City and how relentless of a worker he was. You know, he wasn't necessarily beating out Kansas and Kansas State for scholarship guys, but he was getting a lot of those guys that, you know, Kansas and Kansas State try and keep under the mat a little bit as PWO guys that end up making key contributions. And, you know, he's really relentless on the recruiting trail as well. Always seem to be checking in with coaches that didn't necessarily have guys that he was recruiting, but, you know, always keeping tabs and always really being on top of what, you know, is going on in that part of the country from a recruiting perspective. So, you know, when you talk about that and you talk about talk to people, it makes a lot of sense. I also think, you know, from a personability standpoint, he's, he's really valuable. Um, obviously, you got guys like Kelvin Bell, um, Liddell Betts, who, you know, have done a really good job. Talk about Kelvin Copeland, a number of other guys on the staff, too. Um, and, you know, I just feel like he's going to be a guy that a lot of the players really gel with and a lot of the recruits really gel with. And, you know, that's what you need on a staff. You know, you can have guys that know football, know, you know, everything about it and, you know, understand the game. But if you don't have personability on the staff, I think then, you know, you're kind of in trouble. Yeah, and like you said, I think that, you know, I think an area that Iowa really doesn't need to worry about now is like that Kansas City area. I mean, I think LaVar's done a good job there. Kellen Copeland obviously has had a few connections there, and Abdul Hodge uh, now with connections there. And, you know, Hodge being from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, I mean, that's just another connection for Iowa to continue to try to get down to Florida as well. And, you know, you look at that Kansas City talent, I mean, it's continuing to get better and better. And Iowa's gotten some dudes from there. They're in on some – uh, probably top, you know, top recruits in 2023 class in that area as well. They're working hard uh, to continue to establish themselves there. And, you know, on top of that, too, I mean, you, you talk about, you know, Abdul Hodge really did want to get back to Iowa. You talk about the, you know, the every, you know the buzzword for Iowa's culture. It's a great culture fit, personality standpoint. He understands what it takes to succeed. And, you know, during some of the uh, the press release day, Abdul said, yeah, when I got back into coaching, the first person I called was Kirk. That's who I wanted to get advice from. Uh, you know, he helped him out. And, uh, you know, it, it's a very interesting thing what I think I was doing. And this is a good transition us into the, the bigger topic, at least in my mind, because this is what everybody's talking about is Brian Ferentz as the quarterback coach. Sean, I'm, I've gone back and forth on this. I'm really happy way today to do it because my mind's just kind of gone in seven or eight different places about what to think about it. I know people are quick to point out that, you know, Brian's offensive coordinator, the play calling hasn't been elite. Okay, it just hasn't. At times, they've really, really put together a lot of stuff. But I think here's what you need to keep in mind as well. When it comes to individual development, you really can't pin anything bad on Brian. I mean, Brian has been an offensive line coach. He's been a tight ends coach. Iowa's had great success with both those. When when uh, Brian was in the NFL, he was, you know, with tight end coach of the Patriots. Obviously, they got a ton of production there in that system under Belichick. Like, Brian, from an individual development standpoint – Makes a lot of sense, but, and this is where I don't blame people for, you know, having their eyebrows raised. The one position that's held Iowa back traditionally outside, maybe skill positions like wide receivers and explosive playmakers, right? It's been quarterback. It's just the playmaking quarterback, making bad decisions at times, not being able to push the ball downfield. So you're moving 
the offensive coordinator that's ranked 100 plus in almost every major statistical category besides points per game, which the Iowa is ranked, I think, 99th, right? You're moving him to coach a position that's come under so much scrutiny. From a standpoint of you want the guy that calls the plays to work directly with the quarterback from a hands-on standpoint, that makes a lot of sense logistically. Like we've seen across the country, like offense coordinator slash quarterback coach. So like it's not that uncommon of a deal, right? But I'll tell you what, Sean, this is doubling down if I've ever seen one. Like this is put up or shut up time for Brian. And I know maybe at times he's a little bit held back by maybe Kirk's offensive philosophy. But here's the thing. Kirk's offensive, I mean, Kirk's reputation is safe. Like he at this point, like with everything he's had to overcome, there's really not much that's gonna be able to do outside of okay, you couldn't get Iowa back to a Big Ten title, never got to the playoff, right? But when Kirk's done, and if Brian can't improve upon the offense or quarterback development, the only thing it's gonna hold back by Kirk doubling down on this is Brian's uh, future in coaching, not just at Iowa but what his ceiling is as a coach and where if Brian wants to get to where he wants to get to um, it's put up or shut up time. They know Spencer, they know Alex. Now he's got a direct chance to work with them. Was it Ken O'Keefe? Was it, is it the personnel or is it the offensive system? Like Brian has a chance to completely overhaul it and whether it be fair or not to Brian, this is put up or shut up time. Brian has to find a way to get more production out of the quarterbacks. Yeah, and, you know, I think you brought up a good point, too. You kind of hit on everything. But I talked to a number of people that said, you know, I think it's really valuable that obviously, you know, Brian and the offense didn't really have a great year last year. Obviously, you know, there's always the talk that, you know, how much of that is Kirk being like, you know, holding Brian back a bit from some of the things that he wants to do. You know, I think that's part of it as well. But I think one of the really valuable things that people took away from it is, like you mentioned, development. You know, obviously, Brian didn't play quarterback he was an offensive lineman um you know he coached I me mean, he didn't he didn't play tight end coached tight ends really good developers there and you know it's just all the things that go into it too you know it's not just you know having a coach that played that position obviously you know running back it's really valuable to have that um you know have a guy that's been in the NFL like Liddell Betts and know what you're doing and you know I think we'll see that development over the next couple of years with that position group but I also think, you know, with the quarterback position as well, I think development's a key part of it. And, you know, I, like you said, I really don't know how much was going on with O'Keefe there. You know, it's not throw him under the bus. He's a great mm-hmm. X's and O's from what yeah. I've heard. Everything has been great from an X's and O's standpoint. Um, but, you know, some people you could ask and, you know, maybe he left a lot desired, left to be desired with, you know, the development at that position. Now I'm not saying Brian's going to knock it out of the park there, but, I think it gives you a new life and a little new like rejuvenation, it seems, um, with that position. And also, you know, I, I when I talked to those people as well, I thought a lot, you know, what Kirk said in his quote was really telling too, saying that, you know, now the offensive coordinator gets to know what the quarterbacks are doing. It gets a better idea. He's working with them firsthand. You know, he was before, but he's really working firsthand on. And, you know, that communication too is is really important. Not to say that, you know, Ken O'Keefe and Brian Farrington have the best communication, but, you know, I think there's a part of it that, you know, makes Kirk feel more comfortable knowing that, you know, you have Brian working with the offense, but all, you know, calling the plays, but also working with the quarterbacks as well, you know, him on him, like run the show in that regard. But yeah, I mean, now that I talk about it and say it out loud, I think it really is kind of a double down thing because, you know, you're buying into Brian's who have that, you know, really on his control, on his lock. And yeah. 
what the last couple of years have been offensively, especially this past year, has just been underwhelming. And we really don't know what, what that's going to bring and, you know, how that's going to fold. I mean, I was a little surprised. I know you talked about it with me like a week ago saying that Brian was, you know, possibly going to be promoted or, you know, get that job or, you know, and then they're going to bring in an outside guy. Didn't really expect it to be Abdul Hodge, honestly, but, you know, I think there was a little inclination that uh, Brian was going to be the guy that moved up a little bit after O'Keefe left. Yeah. And, you know, in that, yeah, and I, I'm happy they brought up about not throwing Ken O'Keefe under the bus because that's not what I'm trying to say at all either. And, you know, the reality is, Sean, that this is where my eyebrows raise and I'm trying to gain clarity on stuff like this within the program. And again, I'm not saying there's turmoil in the program or anything like that. Like, don't get it twisted. But I don't know if you've had the same conversations with certain people, but there's one common thread. Nobody pins it on the same person as far as development or holding back. Like some people say it's okay. Some people I've heard said it's Kirk. Some people I've heard it's Brian. Some I've had a mix of all three. But when you go down the list and texting people and talking to people, Sean, it's never the same person over and over and over again. And I think that's where moving to Brian, a quarterback coach, makes it an even more interesting thing. And the reality is, you know, when we've asked Kirk about Brian and the offense in the, in the offense and the offense coordinator, Kirk responds with, yeah, you know, we all need to be better. We need to do this. Cause he tries to, I don't want to say deflect blame off of Brian. Cause I think he would do the same thing with any other member of his coaching staff. I think he has in the past, but like, let's be real. I mean, it, it, it is deflecting a little bit, but I'll tell you what, man, if he's coaching the quarterbacks too, along with being offense coordinator, I don't think you're going to be all the deflect because now this is direct. This is a direct thing. He is in charge of the quarterbacks. He's going to be in charge of the performance of it, not just the play calling. There is so much that he's in charge of now. I mean, you arguably have Brian coaching the two most important things in your offense, especially in an Iowa system. I, you know, I want to see, and obviously the offensive line is probably up there as well, and tight ends are obviously, but if the quarterback isn't good, the offense isn't going to go. We've seen that last year. So I don't hate the hire. I really don't. But my eyebrows raise, and this is, again, you talk about doubling down, this is it. But when you look at it from a pure resume standpoint, that's where I think people, you really can't, you can't argue with his resume. He just, he, he, get, he puts dudes in the NFL. He has NFL coaching experience in a position. He's been great from an individual development standpoint. I think a lot of the people he's coached in the past have said that as well. But now, again, it's put up or shut up. Iowa's quarterbacks have to take a step forward, especially if you have Spencer Petras coming back, if he wins a starting job. It's his third year as a starter. And I'm not even talking about a baby step. There has to be noticeable steps, especially going into a third year as a starter. Yeah, I will say from a recruiting perspective as well, a number of high school coaches that I've talked to um, have actually been impressed with Brian, you know, in some regards with obviously the personality. I think, you know, it kind of depends on who you're talking to with that. Um, but from an offensive standpoint, you know, they see the potential. They see what could happen in that offense. And, you know, they're really encouraged. And, you know, that kind of rubs off on a lot of the high school recruits, too, that they're talking to because, you know, they can see the potential in the offense. Saw it in the Holiday Bowl. Saw it, you know, at times in the Penn State game. Obviously, you know, that play at the end um, and a few other moments throughout the year. So, you know, there's potential. I think, you know, I would love to see, you know, things open up a little bit because I feel like things are so contained from a, you know, personnel standpoint, a, you know, scheme standpoint, I think there's a lot of potential for that to be opened up more and, you know, to take those risks. But, you know, at the end of the day, you kind of got to trust, trust what the staff is doing and, um, you know, trust, you know, that they, they understand that, 
you know, maybe, maybe they know what's best. And, you know, we're just kind of, we're on the outside for a reason, you know, those yeah. coaches, they, they get hired for a reason. They're doing their job for a reason. Um, you know, it's so easy to critique when you're not doing it. It's not your job. Um, so, you know, it's kind of just like a hard conversation to have because, you know, you can kind of see where the strengths are with Brian, you know, the potential that he could have, but yep. you know, what's really holding that back because I do think Iowa has the personnel to really be an explosive offense in the big 10. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, the offensive line maybe was lacking a little bit at the beginning of the year, but I think, you know, from a personnel standpoint and, you know, I think this could come into our next point as well with the addition of Steven Stilianos um, at the tight end spot. I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how he factors into that offense, you know, what maybe Iowa can do different with, you know, maybe more heavy 12 personnel and even some 13 personnel with the three tight ends on the field. So it's going to be going to be an interesting offseason. Um, and I think, you know, we're going to see hints throughout spring ball that, you know, kind of give us a better idea of where, where things are at, what things are looking like, what's clicking, what's not clicking. Um, obviously the quarterback race is going to be talked about a ton, but yeah. you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a fascinating couple of months because, you know, there's still a lot of question marks that, you know, we need answered and, you know, that we're, we're still trying to figure out. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I agree with you, Sean, that I won't say Iowa can be an explosive offense, but man, they could be a good offense. Like this, if you look just from a strict personnel standpoint, I, I love the wide receivers. I think I'm very interested to see how Gavin and LaShawn Williams excel in spring ball and where they can continue to take steps forward. And the reality is too, is, you know, we, we, people do get so caught up on what Iowa can't, hasn't done. And that's being explosive offense. Let's throw the ball downfield. I think you bring up a good point. They do a lot of things. Well, despite the numbers, they still know how to, you know, they still know how to run the football. They still do think good things. The personnel's there. The continuity, the coaching staff is there. The chemistry is there. There's a lot of things that they do really well. I think people see all the highlights of all these, you know, downfield passes. They see the Ohio States. They see even Wisconsin running the football. I mean, they see all these different things. And you look at Iowa and you look at some of the personnel, I think it is easy to get frustrated. But you also need to keep in mind that the more explosive Iowa tries to be, the more the higher chance and likelihood that Iowa will turn the ball over. And the one thing Kirk and them have always said is they're not going to turn the ball over. They're not going to, they would rather put it on their defense. They'd rather punt the football than turn the ball over. And I think that that's obviously one philosophy that I think has kept them a little bit more reserved. But like you said, I think you look at the holiday bowl, I think the tight end screen is something they can utilize. I think some of the different running schemes, the zone running schemes can be utilized. The two running backs get Arlen Bruce involved more, throw downfield to Keegan Johnson, run a little bit of a wildcat. Like Iowa has the personnel to do, a bunch of different things. And again, I'm, I'm just curious about where they expect to go, because again, the only way I think people are going to be really, really upset with this offense next year to the certain level is if they don't try anything new or they don't throw, throw any new wrinkles to fold. If they try everything to just do the same thing that they made them 121st ranked in total offense, right? They just want to see Iowa try something new. And I'd be hard pressed to say that they're not going to try anything new. I think they're going to, I think they have no choice, but to, uh, but Sean, we, we got a few other things to get into. So, you know, we could talk about this in another two hours about where Iowa's offense could go. But obviously a couple of big additions on the recruiting trail. Iowa, I think, Sean, this you talk about a great start to this 2023 class. Obviously, Stephen Cilianos, Lafayette College transfer, is going to be more of an immediate impact guy. But we'll, we'll go from that to the 2023 class. But two huge, huge uh, additions. And you've been all over the, the Cilianos news. So give us a little bit of a breakdown of him. And you know, I know some people really say that Iowa didn't need a, another tight end in the room. 
I disagree. I think this provides great depth, and I think that he brings a new skill set to the table. Um, and I think, again, if you want to continue to develop maybe an Elijah Yelverton or some of those younger guys, uh, a third tight end in Iowa offense is something that's, I think, desperately needed. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, I talked to Stiliano throughout the recruiting process, and, you know, when I talked to him yesterday about after he made his decision, he was mentioned that Iowa likes, you know, obviously his physicality, how big he is. And, you know, he looks that part for sure. I've seen him in person a couple of times. Um, and he definitely looks the part at that spot. And just watch him on film, the type of edge that he plays with, whether that be run blocking, whether that be, you know, his initial pass block and then, you know, going releasing and getting a good release and, you know, getting out to the flat or um, getting outside or even running a couple wheel routes and, you know, making things work like that. And, you know, one thing I was really impressed too was his speed. Um, obviously, you know, he's not a burner, but I think, you know, being able to make plays in the open field after the catch and even after contact is so valuable, especially at that tight end position. You know, you talk about Sam Laporta, you know, he's made a couple of big plays downfield. We haven't seen that necessarily with Luke Lachey, but I think Stilianos is kind of that, you know, happy medium between those two, but I also think he's a better blocker. And, you know, he might be one of the more athletic guys in that tight end room right now. Um, I would not be surprised if he has a chance at the NFL, maybe not this year, but after next year, because I think, you know, from a frame perspective and athletic perspective, he brings a lot of valuable things to the table that, you know, this Iowa offense made, it made a lot of sense why they went after him. I know a lot of people are like questioning it, but I think this Iowa staff really feels confident, obviously in those two guys, Lachey and, Laporta, but I think they think with Stilianos that can bring another weapon to him and, you know, maybe improve, you know, an area where they didn't really have that much success this past year, or at least the inconsistency, which was with that blocking at the tight end spot. Um, so I think it's a really, I think it's a really key addition. Virginia was making a hard push. Rutgers was in there. Michigan state reached out, but you know, things weren't really going to elevate there, I think. Um, so, I, I mean, honestly, I think it was a really big addition. I know I think it caught a lot of eyebrows at first being like, why, why is Iowa going after another tight end? But I think, you know, kind of Stilianos, his comments are a little a little revealing too, being that, you know, the staff doesn't really feel comfortable to one of the – or the tight ends behind Laporta and Lachey, and they really felt that Stilianos could help bring that immediate impact. And, you know, watching him on film, I definitely think, you know, there's a shot for him to really, really gel well in the Big Ten and, you know, really gel well at Iowa and be a really valuable asset for them next year. I think something else that stuck out to me about with your conversations with him is Laporta and Lachey were recruiting him, and Spencer mm-hmm. just did were recruiting him. I mean, this wasn't a guy that was just coming in and... This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You know, the tight ends are like, why do we need our tight end? I don't want it. And he even said, like, yeah, Lachey and Laporta were two, the two biggest recruiters I had. And I think that... That, that, that stuck out to me, at least. I think that's a credit to the culture of the room. And I think that's a credit to uh, Laporta and Lachey just being like, look, yeah, let's let's do it. Let's just go win it. And I think being on the cusp of the Big Ten title and in the Big Ten title kind of got them just to say, hey, look, anything to make us better and get us over the hump, I think that's a good thing. Um, so I think that stands out to me. And he even said, I think, in that conversation with you, Sean, you don't get that everywhere. You don't get that same room. 
that of a guy that you, whose job you might be taking to say, hey, yeah, come on in, let's do it. Um, so that's a big thing. But segueing from Cilianos to the 2023 recruiting class, we'll get into your St. Louis trip in a second. But Sean, again, we, we've talked, we've said for, I think, two or three months that Iowa has a shot at a top 2025 20, recruiting class in that 2023 class off to a stellar start. I mean, they're ranked eighth by 24-7 sports composite rating. Uh, Marco Lina is still uh, the top-ranked recruit in the class, but Iowa's added Alex Moda. Uh, Chase Brackney got his composite grade as well, high three-star. Leighton Jones, a mid, mid to high three-star. Uh, Leighton Jones, obviously, is the newest commit from the offensive line, uh, offensive line room. Uh, very interesting prospect, I think, Sean. Uh, really, really like the addition, though. Obviously, had offers from Purdue and a number of other schools, but I think over the past few weeks, we've felt that it was just a matter of time before he committed to Iowa. I know Steve Wiltfong uh, put in a crystal ball very early before I think Jones even had the offer that yeah. to be a Hawkeye. So just, again, killer start for the 2023 recurring class. I know you've, you've been kind of all over this, but uh, it's just it's a, it's a good start for them. And it's going to be very interesting to see how it pans out because the ceiling is definitely high with this group. Yeah, we talked about Moda in another podcast a lot. Obviously, you know, that story was kind of wild from my perspective. And, you know, it's kind of one that a lot of people didn't really see coming. But, you know, you talk about Moda, yet Iowa State and Wisconsin pushing. Say what you want about Iowa State. You know, they're, um, they're a program that's going to be on the come up. And they have a lot of talent. And they really want him bad. Iowa was able to plan him. Brackney, I know Nebraska's in a tough spot. But he had an offer from USC for a reason. Um, Obviously, Colorado hasn't been great in state recruiting. But, you know, he had a lot of offers from those solid Pac-12 programs. Um, you talk about Leighton Jones, mentioned the Purdue offer. You know, Illinois was probably going to offer. Wisconsin was going to offer. Northwestern was coming on strong. Notre Dame wanted him to come up for a visit. Um, you know, he – I think one person on our message boards kind of equated it to Ashton Craig, who ended up going to Notre Dame last yeah. year, um, being that, you know, he had that rise in the spring, you know, early springtime and, you know, drag things out a little bit. But Iowa did a great job of forming that early relationship, getting involved as early as possible and, you know, kind of, you know, working that thing and um, holding his standard high to what, you know, Iowa wants. And, you know, those are three great gets right in a row. Obviously, you know, you mentioned Moda. That one I thought was going to go the summer. I mean, he told me before he committed, the day before he committed, it was going to go in the summer. Um, Brackney kept things quiet a little bit during the process, but always got a great feel for Iowa there, especially, you know, the day that he committed. Yeah. Um, Leighton Jones as well. We talked about him and, you know, how much potential he has. And obviously, you know, he's going to be held to a higher standard because, you know, he's center. Um, you know, he's a ferocious kid, wrestler, you know, one of the best wrestlers in the state of Indiana, who is, a, which is a sneaky good wrestling state. Um, you know, the comparisons are going to be there for Tyler Linderbaum. So, you know, he's going to be held to a high standard. And, you know, I think he's really going to help bolster that, that center spot as well. And, you know, we talked about a number of guys who are making their way to that position, one in particular um, on our message boards that we've talked about. And, you know, I think Jones is a perfect fit for that spot. And, you know, talk about the 2023 class as well. Um, obviously, you know, Mac Markway, I was in a great spot for him. Caden Proctor, um, you talk about, you know, Jameson Patton from Des Moines Roosevelt. Uh, Kyler Casper, four-star wide receiver, I was up there for him as well. But that thing's still still pretty interesting. I was in a great spot for a number of guys. And, you know, I have a, I have a Nuggets coming out on Wednesday night. Um, so tonight, you know, if you're – I don't know when you're when people are going to be listening to this, but – you know, I'm going to mention a couple of guys that, you know, I've heard that Iowa feels really good about and guys that I've, you know, have talked to and, you know, feel really good about Iowa. So, 
be on the lookout for that. Um, you know, it's six signee or six commits right now. But I think when you look at all six of these commits, these are high floor guys. I still think, you know, there's some things that need to be worked out with Fortune Johnson. I'm excited to see him up close and personal in the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, I still I think he's gonna be a really good potential prospect on the interior. You talk about Jones, talk about Ben Keeter. Obviously, that's gonna be interesting to see what he does with um, you know, the wrestling and football. Um, Brackney mentioned him, Moda as well, Lionez, I think is gonna be a dude in that offense, perfect fit for that offense, um, along with Carson May. So, you know, you're looking at eighth nationally right now, three in the Big Ten. Obviously, Iowa's mainly up there because they have the six commits, but you know, this, this class has really good potential to be one of those stacked classes. And obviously, Iowa didn't get off to a great start in 2022. But I think the momentum that they – I think it was so much more important to have the momentum later on in the class than it was at the beginning because now you're kind of reaping the benefits of having these guys, you know, really see what Iowa can do on the recruiting trail and have that potential to uh, possibly commit early and, you know, see what they can do um, in Iowa. No, definitely. So I know you touched on this a little bit, but let's get to your St. Louis trip. I know you you talked to a number of prospects, um, including Mark Way himself. I, I know you had a few good stories about that. Pretty eventful uh, couple of days gone, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, yeah, it was a good time. Um, got to see one of my buddies down there and a couple other friends. So it was a good time. Um, yeah, once to go see Mark Way. You can read that story on 24-7 Sports. I was in a great spot right now. Um, Miami's another one that's battling. I think this could be one where, you know, Mark Way could really end up in Big Ten country. I put my crystal ball in favor of Iowa um, for this point. You can see why if you're a VIP member on our site. Um, so that one was really important. Uh, Zach Ortwith, a tight end from St. Louis University High School in uh, St. Louis there. Iowa's in a great spot as well. The thing to think about there is that he's only been to Iowa at this point, um, so he's going to see other schools. But, you know, I think it kind of seems like Iowa wants two tight ends in this class and the potential for Mark Way and Ortwith. Or Ortworth in that class is really real. Um, so be on the lookout for that as well. Tyler Gant, three-star defensive lineman from Christian Brothers down there in St. Louis as well, recently released a top five of Iowa, Iowa State, Wisconsin, Kentucky, and Arkansas. That top five is no longer. Um, he's kind of blown it all up and, you know, kind of resetting the process. Those five schools are the main five schools right now. I'd say Wisconsin, Iowa, and maybe Iowa State and Kentucky are really involved, but Illinois is in there as well. Arkansas, you know, I mentioned them before. They're really involved as well. He's Tyler's not really, you know, in a huge rush or anything. I think Iowa's in a really good spot there. But, you know, he's kind of still seeing where things are at right now. And, you know, he's coming up to Iowa City this weekend with Jeremiah Love, a, a three-star athlete, one of his teammates who I think should be a four-star, thinks he should be a five-star. Um, but <laughs> he uh, he's gotten offers in Notre Dame and Alabama. Iowa hasn't really recruited him too hard. But I'm interested to see if anything can, you know, change up a little bit this weekend um, when he makes the trip with Gant. So, you know, I have a I have a preview of the uh, junior days up on the site right now. Um, you can check that out. Should be a uh, fascinating weekend. I don't know if I'm counting on any commitments yet, but I think there are a number of guys that um, can really, you know, Iowa can make a big move with. Sean, after the way the recruiting season started, I – even if we don't expect commitments, I mean, <laughs> you might just have to uh, be on the lookout always for one, just yeah. on how weird recruiting is uh, in general. But yeah, you've had a lot of good stuff on the site. Iowa basketball plays Michigan tomorrow night. Uh, they play at Illinois on Sunday. I'm going to have a, a mini podcast tomorrow morning 
about just the Iowa basketball season, what to look for going forward. Sean, I, you know, I do want to touch on it real quick though with you before we, before we wrap this thing up. I got I got to eat some crow. Uh, Iowa basketball has been incredibly impressive to me this year. Uh, number four seed right now in the Big Ten tournament, if it were to start today, which is a double bye. I think if Greg Gard didn't exist, I would probably give my vote for Coach of the Year to Fran McCaffrey after everything that they've lost and the way that they're playing their best basketball. You know, Sean, here, here's, here's maybe a hot take. Iowa might be playing some of the best basketball they've played in two-plus years right now. I mean – they're seven and one in their last eight games. They lost to Michigan by five, but all seven of those wins in against Big Ten quality teams were by double digits. And the average margin of victory is 18.3 points per game in those seven victories. I mean, they really playing well. Guys really settling in the role. Keegan Murray, I think, has been absolutely phenomenal. Chris Murray's, you know, continuing to come on strong. Connor McCaffrey, February Connor McCaffrey might be the best shooter in college basketball. Uh, with <laughs> it's crazy what he's done. Uh, but I think you need to give Fran McCaffrey a lot of credit. I think you need coaching staff a lot of credit. And I think the biggest compliment that I can give them, Sean, their defense looks better. I mean, it's not a fluke. Like, I'm not saying they're some elite lockdown team by any means, but just from an eye test perspective, I mean, they're, they're head and shoulders much better than, than, than they were last year. I mean, it's, it's very noticeable. I think a lot of people have to eat crow about this Iowa team. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been – I mean, I'm not saying that the team – I mean, obviously Ohio State was a big victory. You don't beat – I know Michigan State's kind of struggling a little bit, but, you know, beating them by 26 is not an easy task. You have two important games coming up against Illinois. And, you know, I actually I think another really important thing to mention too is that um, a lot of these games have been by double digits. You know, a lot of these victories, if not all of them to this point, have been by double digits. And I think that's fascinating in itself because – you know, you're getting the work done early. I know it's teams that, you know, you're not – I mean, Nebraska was closer than, you know, the score entails, but obviously on the road that's a whole different animal and seems like a really important win too because, you know, Nebraska, they have nothing to lose at this point and, you know, they're just going to come at you. But, um, you know, I think that's that's the most impressive part too, and you mentioned the defense as well. It just looks like a really good defensive team and, you know, maybe maybe the juju can carry over to the Big Ten tournament. I know Iowa hasn't had a ton of success in, in the Big Ten tournament in Indianapolis and in Chicago. So, you know, if they can get another, maybe, you know, if they can reach the semifinal, maybe potentially reach a championship. I know they're looking at a number four seed right now with that Ohio State loss last night. Um, so, you know, that could be really favorable for them. I know a lot of people have talked about how, you know, good this field potentially looks for Iowa. But, you know, I think if they win – if they beat Michigan, I think that could set them up well for a four spot. Obviously, yeah. it depends what Ohio State does, too. I really don't see them beating Illinois, but, you know, I could eat crow on that as well because – Illinois is so really frustrating know. to watch, Sean. Like, yeah. they, I look at that team, and I've sat there, and I've said that looks like a Final Four team. They look they look fantastic. They're up by 18 or whatever against the top team, and then they give up like a 24-3 to three run, and they just end up losing the game somehow. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting, uh, interesting dynamic with them. But, you know, I yeah, you got to give. I mentioned this on the message board the other day. I mean, obviously, you know, Fran's first couple seasons were, you know, he did the job. But, you know, this might be his best coaching job considering what he had coming back and what yeah. he has coming in. And, you know, I think that midseason adjustment with, you know, Toussaint coming off the bench, he looks like I mean, I know he's a little upset at first, but he looks more comfortable in that role coming off the bench. And Jordan Bohannon, I mean, 
God, he's gotten so much crap the last couple of years and to see him healthy and playing well. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest, like guys like me have given him crap because, you know, he's, he was a liability on defense in the big 10, but you know, to see what he's done in some of these possessions that he's been able to play, you know, his shooting has been better too at times, but I mean, Connor as well, like these two guys that, you know, Iowa bred guys that, you know, want a chance to make the NCAA tournament and put, put Iowa on the map are really leading this team. And, you know, I think those are two guys that along with Patrick McCaffrey, they've gotten the most crap from a lot of outsiders and to see them kind of shut people up and, you know, really play at a high level and, you know, especially offensively with Connor too, um, to see them play and, you know, what people call their weaknesses. Like I said before, you know, Connor's not necessarily known for his offense. Jordan's not necessarily known for his defense. Um, to see those guys play at a high level on both ends of the floor is is really impressive and really encouraging to see going into March. You know, I looked at this the other day too, Sean. Connor McCaffrey is the highest three point percentage in Big Ten play for Iowa. <laughs> Minimum wow. thirty attempts. I mean, what a what a narrative change, right? Yeah. Um, and the reality is, look, if Tony Perkins and Connor McCaffrey can hit threes, Iowa can make a Sweet Sixteen. They, they mm-hmm. ju- it just opens up the offense so much more. I mean, we talked preseason, right? Right. I, you and I both agreed. There's no way you were able to play uh, Perkins, Toussaint, Ulysses, and McCaffrey, or three of the four, three of the four together on the floor, because there's just zero space on the floor. But with Tony Perkins hitting a few threes, Connor hitting some threes now, it is opening up. And I'll wrap it up by saying this, Sean. I was I was thinking about this the other night watching some of these teams. I really don't think that the Big Ten has a lot of teams that can go far. And granted, like maybe maybe I haven't watched enough basketball in other conferences, but I, I look at I, I look at how good I thought the league was going to be this year, and I look at how, like the expectations in the tournament. Look, Purdue, Purdue's Purdue's kind of a watered down Iowa from last year. Their offense is great, their defense is horrible. I mean, they 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 can't guard anybody. They they just can't. Jay Nivey as good as he is, he can't guard anybody. Illinois is inconsistent. Wisconsin, they win. I mean, that's that's about the nicest thing I can say about them. They win. I think, Iowa, I think it could be a I think it'd be a classic Elite Eight Wisconsin team, but I could also see them losing in the round of 32. Yeah. I mean, Johnny Davis is certainly good enough, and they have some different pieces, but like two bank shots by Chucky Hepburn to yeah. in the Big Ten last night. I think by Ken Palm luck rating, which I, I think is that pretty decent little formula. I think they're fifth right now in luck this year. Oh and, wow. You know, I think that's worth noting as well. But I mean, I, I guess I want your take on just the Big Ten in general. I you know I'll say this, Sean. If Michigan puts it together, I still think Michigan can make a mini run. I think that they have the talent on that team to do something. Yeah, them in Indiana kind of still seem like they're and Rutgers as well kind of seem like they're still trying to finagle their way into the NCAA tournament. So, you know, Michigan they got talent, but I'll be interested to see how that happens without Juwan Howard. But yeah, I mean, I agree with what you said about, you know, the Big Ten. And, you know, it's so weird seeing Iowa in that spot because no one, no one expected it to happen. But I guess when you're Iowa, you got to you gotta kind of be happy that you're in a conference like the Big Ten where everyone kind of beats each other up and, you know, kind of, you know, can beat anyone on any given night. So, yeah, I mean, I think the Big Ten, you talked about it, Dave. I think, you know, Wisconsin, like I said before, could go around to 32 or the Elite Eight. Illinois, I, yeah, I don't really have trust. I have trust issues about that team. Purdue as well. You mentioned the glorified Iowa from last year. Um, I think they're more talented top. Eh, I don't want to say more talented, but I think the roster think is better filled out. Yes. I think it's more filled. I think it's more fitted for matchups in March yeah. than yep. Iowa is. 
Um, Ohio State, you know, they have not been playing well. Um, Michigan is hit or miss. Michigan State struggling. Rutgers only can win at the rack. Um, Indiana is really not an impressive team. You know, there's there's a lot that, you know, is is a lot of com- or a lot of things that I guess just don't you just don't really know. Don't add um, up, right? I mean, yeah. just going deep in March. Right. Yeah. It's it's uh it's gonna be fascinating. I mean, I could see, you know, two or three teams make it to the Elite Eight, and I could see, you know, no teams making it to the Elite Eight. Yeah. So it's gonna be uh it's gonna be interesting. I know people are getting mad at me for mentioning this, but it's a true point, Sean. And I'll knock on wood before I say it. Iowa's been healthy this year. They they just have. I mean, Jabo, I think what did J Connor McCaffrey missed a game or two. Patrick's missed a game or two. He's day to day with the hip injury now. What Fran didn't seem optimistic about tomorrow, but other than that, Sean, like Keegan missed a game. Other than that, like nobody's been hurt for Iowa this year. And we know about last year, like Oregon was a horrible matchup for Iowa from the start. Not Uh disputing that whatsoever. But look, Iowa was beat up last year. I mean, everybody was hurt last year. Every how many offseason surgeries guys had. Luca had a bad sprained ankle, I think, in the in the NCAA tournament. He played off that. Jordan had a bad shoulder. Connor had two torn hip labrums. I mean, the guys are reeling. Like they were just inching their way to the finish line at that point and trying to make something with with a hurt roster. So, you know, who knows? But uh Sean, any other final tidbits you got recruiting wise, or we uh we pretty much hit on everything. No, this uh this weekend will be interesting. I'm not I don't know if I'm gonna predict any commitments at this point. I think Iowa can make a big move with a number of guys and you know who knows what offers come out, but you know, there'll be they they could be some news. We'll see, we'll see what happens. That's not a tease or anything. I really don't know for sure, but yeah. you know, you never really know with this type of stuff. No, so uh, be sure to stay tuned to Hawkeyeinsider.com. Follow us on Twitter at David Eichel at SBOC247 at Hawkeyes on 247 and be sure to stay tuned to Hawkeyeinsider.com for the list. Until then, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks.